It's time for Yusuf on Security. I'm your host, Ibrahim Yusuf. Welcome again. In today's episode, we will dive into the most widely adopted framework, and that is the NIST Cybersecurity Framework. But before that, let's recap top trending security news. And this includes the booming market for bots that steal two-factor authentication, and the Commerce Department of the US sanctions the NSO Group. Positive technology and more organization. It's all coming up next on Use of Phone Security. This is Yusuf on Security, episode 40, recorded Saturday, 6th November 2021, NIST Cybersecurity Framework. Bots are becoming more and more popular um, to be used as part of the attack mechanism um, to do all sorts of things but something that is actually growing in popularity under um, in the underground market is the bots that still two-factor authentication and these are targeting accounts such as coinbase amazon paypal bank account especially the big ones um, and those bots are seeming to increasingly um, convince um, in an effortless way um, to help hackers um, break into into those accounts now this report um, goes as um the vice.com put it, um, they've interviewed someone who received similar calls, and this is what they've said. The call came from a PayPal's fraud prevention system. Someone had tried to use uh, their um, their account to you know to spend something less than sixty dollars, according to the automated voice um, on the line, and and apparently in that call, PayPal needed to verify the identity of that person, the owner of their account, in order to block the the transfer. And this is what they've said in inverted comma. In order to secure your account, please enter the code we have sent your mobile device now. Um, and sometimes PayPal send text um, to users um, and they send a code in order to protect their account. And after entering the um, string of six digit, um, the voice said, thank you, your account has been secured and this request has been blocked. Don't worry, if any payment has been charged to your account, we will refund within 20 to 48 hours. Your reference ID is and then they gave the reference ID, you might now hang up. And that seems to be quite an ordinary phone call from a bank, as if, you, if you've been banking online and you have enabled your online banking to your um, physical banking. But they said, don't worry, if, if any payment has been charged to your account, we will refund within 20 to 48 hours. And that's basically a tactic to really reassure the victim that everything is all right. It is not. And they said, but this call was 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 actually from from a hacker. Um, the froster um, used a type of bot that drastically um, streamlined the process for for hackers to to trick victims into giving up their uh, two factor authentication. And two factor authentication is what we breach day in and day out in order to strengthen um, online based services such as bank and others. Um, 
you know, it could also come in and refer to as one-time password because that is a code that is sent to you um, once and and is valid for a period of of, of time, maybe five minutes, maybe slightly more. And, and, and that's normally what letting the owner of the account into the service so that they can, you know, double authenticate. So, so various um, bots, um, targets, um, big brands such as Apple Pay, PayPal, Amazon, Coinbase, as I said, and a wide range of um, specific bank. Now, fooling victims into handing over a login or verification code um, previously would often involve the hacker directly, basically, you know, setting up a conversation um, with the victim, but perhaps pretending to be the victim's bank in a phone call. And this increasingly um, is being replaced by bots, um, which basically really lowers the um, entry barrier of um, novice hackers to really get hold of the two-factor authentication, because essentially that's what they need to bypass that mechanism that enforces your traditional username and password based. And Vice um, asked someone called um, Kanek is selling one of these bots online to demo the capability by sending the automated call to a um, to one of their reporters' phone. And after entering a code, the company basically selling this Kanek showed their bots had received the same code. Now that is quite worrying, isn't it? Because in order to really scour through their um, knowledge of their OTB or two-factor authentication of someone who's a victim demands a, a bit of a skill. You've got to be very good at convincing people over the phone without much visibility on a face-to-face contact for that person to trust you, but also to give you what you're asking, um, even though they've never heard you before. So a social engineering is not something that all hackers certainly possess. If, if anything, they really um, not uh, they introvert and they're very bad at talking or expressing themselves. Let alone um, be very good at um, social engineering. Now, with these bots um, that cost a few hundred dollars, anyone can start getting around multi-factor authentication if you have done your homework that leads to that point. Because in order to arrive at this point, you have done and successfully obtained um, the username and password. And a security measure that many members of the public may assume is is largely secure, i.e. the two-factor authentication can easily be bypassed if this is um, leveled against someone. The bot's existence and an increase in popularity obviously raises questions of whether online services need to do um, and offer more phishing-resistant form of authentication to protect users. Because up to this point, that was a really good um, um, mechanism to slow down or at least deter um, novice or people who are actually want to get hold of your um, account. Now, to break into an account, a hacker will need a victim's user or um, email address and password because I will explain how this is basically pulled off. They might source that, of course, um, from a previous data breach, which contains credentials many people reused across the internet, and that is really the Achilles heel. If you are using, um, we're all victim of reusing the same credentials or email address, at the very least, on various services out there, but that is essentially what is going to bring the, the camel down. Um, they could buy a sort of 
bank locks as well, so they don't have to really break into your account as such um, and, and just now fish for the uh, two-factor authentication. They could be obtaining this from a resale um, outlet. But the victim might have multi-factor authentication enabled, which is where the bots come in. Um, now, they could go underground, such as Telegram or Discord, um, where the hackers enter their target's phone numbers and the platform the hacker wants to break into. And, and essentially, the way they're really doing this is they have to do the homework, as I said, get hold of your username and password, um, and then start to get in into the platform. Now, once the underground, um, the bot then places the automated call to the target and it has to be almost um, synchronous and um, and that bot will then start calling you once the hacker has pressed a button which then has to be followed enter your two-factor authentication at that point is when you get the call so it's a small amount of windows where um, um, when the bot places the automatic call and asks the victim to enter a code they just receive the um, the um, the code so the hacker receives the code which will simultaneously trigger a legitimate code to be sent from the target platform to the to the to the victim's phone um, prior to that once that is done they may do this by entering the victim's username and password of course to trigger that on the site so the victim receives the login or authorization code and then at that point the bot is on your phone essentially talking to you and by that time you have given the code and the other side of the phone is the hacker who's waiting for that authentication code to be divulged and sent and then boom they win um, and that's really how they pull this off so really the the turning point is two phases one they should have or at least have done their homework in order to obtain your username and password so by that what you need to do is to not to reuse um, you know username and, and password across multiple services to limit that at least if some breach of that service occurs then it's limited to that service alone and there is no cross contamination where all your accounts will then be basically baked um, so that's one way to to prevent the second phase is once the attacker enters the um, username and password and then the system will whatever system you are using if it's the bank or your paypal or others um, the, the service will ask the um, attacker to provide a two-factor authentication and they will then have to enter that um, um, the place the call where the bot calls you and then you you divulge that and really the the best way to protect yourself against that is to not really entertain that conversation you know hang up that call um, before you basically um, hand over and try to see if you can reach the bank or the service or paypal or whatever organization that you actually associate yourself with and get hold of their number and try to call them and see if you can speak to someone regarding that call that will be the easiest way of doing it but you know 
you might get caught off guard, um, but then again, it's going to be too late because it's a small window, as I said, between your accounts being taken over and you realizing what has happened. Um, and soon after that, the first thing they will do is, if it's a PayPal or account, they will transfer the fund that is actually in there. If it's a credit card um, or maybe some sort of a money that is sitting somewhere, um, they will transfer that, obviously, fund. If it's any um, other things, they will use it, such as a credit card. They will then, obviously, go ahead and resell it and, and use it. If it's, hopefully, you shouldn't be really using your debit account um, for shopping because there's not much protection um, against that in terms of you being um, helped by the bank and actually the bank um, taking the hit and refunding your money. If you're using your debit or current account, you shouldn't. Um, if that is the case, then obviously they will just basically empty your account. So really, um, be careful. This is something that is actually coming more popular um, and becoming more and more persuasive um, 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 and convincing um, parts that actually are calling you. Um, not everyone will be familiar with this kind of call, so don't be caught off guard. And the next story is the Commerce Department of the U.S. sanctions spyware companies. Um, and this the U.S. Department of Commerce Bureau of Industry and Security, as it's known in full, has published an updated list of entities sanctioned for, you know, open bracket, for engaging in activity that are contrary to the national security or foreign policy interest of the United States, close quote. The newly added organization are um, NSO Group, Candiru, um, Positive Technology and Computer Security Initiative um, Consultancy. Now, these, especially the um, NSO Group, and I've mentioned this previously in um, in episode in the past, are those groups um, of companies who basically sell hacking technology, specifically targeting um, dissidents and um, people who actually want to um, remain out of um, out of light because they will be targeted. Um, it's very controversial technology where the security industry were not very happy with. Um, and of course, the the US has taken a step forward for limiting their capabilities um, to, do, to do any business. Now, these entity list um, restrict the export, re-export and in-country transfer, and that is the US, of items subject to the... Um, um, to persons, individual, organization, companies, reasonably believed to be involved, have been involved, or posed a significant risk of being or becoming involved in activity contrary to the national security or policy policy interest of the United States. Um, close quote. That's that's a long sentence, but you, you get the gist of what that really means. And there will be no exemptions apparently, which means you can get into substantial penalty, civil as well as criminal as well, um, fined for doing business with one of these entities. Um, and this is really just um, underlines um, that these organizations, um, according to the US law, um, and according to a lot of law, to be quite honest, um, have crossed a, um, allegedly crossed a, um, 
a line where they have aggravated um, quite a lot of issues related to safety um, of of people. Um, so that's us, you know, it's a it's a story that's been developing, um, and you know, we've seen this story NSO grow specifically with Pegasus uh, malware um, time and again coming up. Um, I would say in the last at least ten years, um, popping up here and there. Um, you know, they themselves been hacked and others um, been hacked and their tools exposed and um, they have to then regroup, etc. Um, but it's a it's a it's a story that we're going to keep hearing because there is a there is a market for such technology. Um, so I don't think they're going to go out of business. But certainly, it's a it's a it's a story that I thought maybe you want to hear um, to keep an eye on. So the NIST cybersecurity framework, um, what it is? Well, let's go into the details of that. Cybersecurity is crucial as data keeps growing and becomes more valuable every single year. Um, a significant portion of organizational data is often sensitive information, as we all know, and of their customers, business, or maybe their strategy, let alone financial information that could badly affect the business of the company. And, and if those data were breached, then, you know, it's, it, it can be very damaging. Even though most organizations have a dedicated team of cybersecurity professionals um, to prevent um, cyber attack, we still see a great number of high-profile organizations from which data was stolen or um, were compromised otherwise. I mean, you look at the... Yeah, 2020 so far, um, what has happened um, and the skyrocketing number of attack, um, but also becoming more and more daring, um, I should say. So solely depending on a team of professional um, working on preventing cyber attacks will will not be effective as it requires a collective effort of the organization as a large. But um, what is needed is a, is a framework most of the time that underpins a, a system or let's say a concept at the core of the organization so that every working component such as people, process and technology can be designed to act as one to improve the overall cybersecurity capability of the organization and should be withhold, you know, upholding um, the, um, the triad of security and that is the confidentiality, integrity and the availability of those data that I've mentioned further up. A cybersecurity framework is a system of guidelines, a standard, and best practices to manage cyber threat or, or risks. And it provides a systematic way to mitigate cyber risk, uh, no matter how complex the environment might be. Now, the NIST cybersecurity framework is one of the most widely adopted framework um, out there, and the framework is introduced by the U.S. Department of, of Commerce and National Institute of Standard and Technology, NIST, um, and that was back in February 2014, would you believe. The framework was initially focused on NIST's own critical infrastructure, um, but you know, fast forward, uh, today it's been adopted by many organizations, um, big or small, all those who care about security. And according to the research um, company Gartner, um, back in 2015, 30% of the U.S. organizations started to use the NIST um, framework, um, and it was predicted that the number will will basically rise um, back then um, up to fifty percent um, by the end of last year. 
And I would say, you know, given the pandemic and the um, turbulent um, year that we have gone through, um, and organizations really just started to think on their feet to provide remote access and roaming users, the whole office, um, uh, for them to conduct it, but also to survive. I would say it was definitely more than 50% by the end of 2020. And internationally, the framework has been um, adopted in a large number of countries, um, Japan, Australia, etc., have made their own um, central focus on this um, framework. And the reason why NIST cybersecurity framework is, is, is adopted as such is because it allows organizations to see cybersecurity holistically and take a step back and really look at this moment of task from a fresh pair of eyes. And the framework in general covers five critical functions which we will get into of cybersecurity and the definitions of each functions um, are, for example, and I would highlight without really going into the weeds, um, identify, protect, detect, response and recover. Um, You know, those are the words that we're all familiar with for those of us who are um, tuned um, somewhat to security. And what identify means, it, it highlights the importance to, quote, develop the organizational understanding to manage cybersecurity risk to system assets, data and capability, end quote. Now, the focus is on the organization and how it relates to cybersecurity risk while taking into account the organizational resources. So that's identifying what needs to be protected. Now the protection. And protection is, uh, open quote, develop and implement the appropriate safeguards to ensure the delivery of critical infrastructure services, end quote. And this function, as as you can hear, focuses on the crucial element and actions that an organization needs to consider to help protect itself from cybersecurity risk. So that's the protect. And then you need what you can protect, at least you can detect and you know maybe mitigate that risk by other means. So let's have a look at detect. And what detect is mandating is, quote, develop and implement the appropriate activities to identify the occurrence of a cybersecurity event, end quote. Despite the organization's best effort, I should say, in preventing attack, there is still, and it will always be, a chance that it can occur, and you need to accommodate that. This function enables the organization to discover these threats in a timely manner. And I have highlighted, if I can just dwell here a little bit, is what you really need to do is you need to probably adopt the mindset of not being complacent. So don't just rely on because you bought the Gartner leader of uh, you know XYZ tools, you will be out of the woods. I don't think that is the, the, the world we're living in. I think you should always be not complacent, but always be mindful that things can be missed. So, and by that, what I mean is you should really tune your tools to identify, protect, but also detect and add some extra element to help that detection. Perhaps you can do playbook approach, threat hunting. You can do a proper threat hunting by setting up a 
team and those teams don't have to be 24 hours threat hunting it can be um, drafted from the security teams that you actually have those who have the aptitude to go deeper into the investigation um, head on before things actually happen and probe your organizations to see if there's anything behind the behind the bushes behind the scene um, by really taking a drive um, on the EDR and XDR and see what you can actually really poke and discover something that the tools by themselves, by default, cannot detect. Um, so don't be complacent. And I think this is what it's catering for. Let's have a look at the response now. Once you have um, identified and um, protected something or at least detected, then what do you need to do? You need to respond to that. And what that means is, quote, develop and implement the appropriate activities when facing a detected cybersecurity event, end quote. Being able to detect threats in a timely manner wouldn't bring any good if the organization is not able to respond to that threat rapidly but also effectively. And, and this function provides knowledge on how to design and implement processes or guidelines to follow when a threat is detected. You can't really be thinking on your feet. You need to have all the mitigation gears lined up for you to spring into action when something is discovered. And that can only be successful if you have done a premeditated plan of action that can actually be triggered at the point of the detection. So that's the response. And then number, number five, and finally, is the recover. And what this means is, quote, develop and implement the appropriate activities for resilience and to restore any capabilities or services that were impaired due to the cyber security event, end quote. The recovery function is also very crucial, as you know, because otherwise you're losing money and you're losing business and also reputation to your shareholders, let alone your customers. So this recovery function is critical. And as most businesses now are highly dependent on their digital assets, um, so by not really having those assets do the function that they're supposed to do means it's a business down and therefore lost of revenue if you can operate those tool sets. A data breach could severely, obviously, impact the operation of the business if the recovery process is not well executed. So that's really the identity. There are, obviously, a subcategory of each one of them. For example, the identity has a subcategory that, that is asset management, um, business environment, governance, risk assessment, risk management strategy, supply chain and risk management, which is really crucial in today's age. And then you can have a look at the other subcategory. I won't go through all of them, but I will give you the link to this um, framework that you can actually dwell and go through it if you haven't done so. And that framework really covers the five important areas that we've gone through, um, which provides the guideline or concept, if you like, that any organization can, can implement to be equipped um, to respond really to cybersecurity effectively. And that is why it's widely considered to be the gold standard for building or embarking on a holistic cybersecurity program. 
as I said, I will be linking this to the um, to the show so that you can actually have a look at it. Um, and I will highly recommend just to really, if you haven't really considered this, is to absolutely have a um, this in place to start off with. You don't have to spend money to put really the foundational blocks so that you can build on top of once you really get into the weeds, for example. And I will provide that. That's the end of the show. And thank you for bearing with me again. And I'm looking forward to having you on board once again. Thanks a lot. Take care.